We're excited to be diving into a brand new series today called Power Family, Power Family. And uh, it's just gonna be three weeks. And so we're gonna be packing a lot into these three weeks. We're gonna be talking about parenting. We're gonna be talking about so many things, how to deal with hard situations in families. Uh, but we're gonna talk about power families. How many of you wanna have a power family? You wanna have a powerful family? Family is not our idea. Family is God's idea. God loves your family. God has a design for your family. He placed you in your family. And he wants you to be mighty in the earth. He wants you to have a power family. I'd love to just read a definition of, uh, of what it means to be a power family. A power family is characterized by multiple family members across generations who hold significant influence, achievements, and recognition in their respective fields, such as politics, business, entertainment, philanthropy. These families leverage their collective status, resources, and networks to exert broad societal, cultural, or political impact, often shaping public discourse and contributing to substantial change within their spheres of influence. Powerful families, power families. Man, it's amazing to see multi-generational blessing upon a family. And before I dive into this, I, I, want to, I want to just identify with each person here. I know that in the room we have people who are not married, singles that, that maybe you aspire to be married, but you're not married. Maybe you're single again. Maybe you have uh, a, a marriage in the past that, that didn't work out and you're single again. And I understand we have people from all types of different backgrounds. And so in no way, shape, or form can we go backwards and fix anything in the past. But I can teach from a biblical standpoint on God's ideals and, and what he desires. And from this day forward, you can aspire in your heart to have God's ideal for your life and for your marriage and for your family. And so, look, you only get one chance to live your life, and there's no rewinding time, but you can start today. Paul said this, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press forward to the mark. And so no matter what season of life you're in, uh, just let today be a an ideal that's set in front of you, that God desires this for you. And, and don't exclude yourself. Oh, he's not talking to me because I'm not in that season of life and that's not me. If you're single today, well, I'm gonna be talking about marriages, but I want you to hear God's idea on marriage and say, you know, take some notes on what you wish it could be. Uh, and maybe you're, you're looking backwards at a marriage that didn't work out. And maybe today we'll highlight some things that could have done, could have done differently. And, and maybe if the Lord gives you another chance, you will do differently. So uh, let's let this just apply to everybody today as we talk about power families. I'm gonna put up a couple of images on the screen and you may be able to recognize the image when they come up on the screen, okay? Here's image number one. Anybody ever spend any time here? Too much time, too much money. Did you know the Walton family is a powerful family? If you, if you actually look up power families in the world, the Walton families is one of the most powerful uh, families, just kids, grandkids, people, they're, they're, they're a generational legacy. And it's not that they've done it, uh, so or say, in a godly way, but there are relationships that are strong. Here's another uh, logo that you might recognize, Hobby Lobby. And for Christians, you have to understand that this family, uh, I've been with David Green, who founded the company. Uh, he's unbelievably wealthy at this point, but his family, God spoke to him in the 90s, is this your business or is it mine? And he decided to turn over all his wealth into a trust that funds Christian initiatives across the world. 
he meets with his board, which is his family, uh, on a monthly basis, and they all bring to the table uh, nonprofits and different charitable places to give, and they pray over where they're going to give money, and they give tens of millions of dollars on a monthly basis to fund the kingdom of God globally. So uh, no matter what narrative you hear in news media or what you hear about this family, I just want you to know I've rarely ever met such a sacrificial powerful family. Christian universities are funded by this family. And how amazing to be powerful in God's hands to, to do something in the world. Maybe you recognize this uh, logo right here. Chick-fil-A. Uh, you can't have them today because they're closed. Closed on Sunday. But the Kathy family, and they're another Christian family that, that you know, they call it the Christian chicken. You know, you just know that they're, they're a bunch of Christians and they're using uh, their God-given platform and their position to, to bring change in the world and they're, they're a power family. I'm gonna put up another image. Maybe you recognize this image. Do you know who this is? This is Israel. It's a symbol for Israel. That's called the Star of David. But you wanna talk about a random scenario. A man named Abraham just was called to leave his country and his family and to go into a place that God would show him. And he goes to a new place and he has a son, Isaac, in his old age. And that son, Isaac, produced two heirs, Jacob and Esau. And from those two heirs produced 12 tribes that were in Egypt and liberated and those 12 tribes turned into millions and millions of people. And now, uh, millenniums later, the people of Israel are still there. And I want to read Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. This is God telling Abraham this. So he's, he's promising that he's going to establish something way beyond Abraham's life. When Abraham is dead, there's going to be generation upon generation of blessing. And he's promising in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And if you fast forward to his lineage, King David, and this is... Uh, Centuries later, 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, God promises David something. He says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. I'm talking about power families. So now I want you to reflect on your relationships. And I know our relationships can feel so human. They're so normal, just so average, just our family. But I believe that God has a calling on your family. God has a purpose for your family. And the enemy hates your family. He hates what you represent. He hates the God in you. He hates the unity of your family. And he will do whatever he can to tear your family apart. And you have to know the power of your family. Okay, and the ideas that I'm sharing today are not culturally popular. And sometimes, and in some ages, this concept is popular. But in today's society, what I'm sharing is not popular, but it is still biblical, and it is still powerful, and it is still right. 
At the core of every power family is a power couple. God is the one who made them male and female. And he caused them to be united into one. And from their union come godly children and godly grandchildren. And God has designed and desired the couple. God has made marriage. Marriage is not to be treated with contempt. It's not to be treated like it doesn't matter, as meaningless. Marriage is one of the most powerful institutions that God has created on earth. He created marriage before he created government. He created marriage before he established his church. Marriage is holy. So today, we're going to focus on marriage. We're going to talk about marriage. And again, for, for people that are single, this doesn't mean you tune out now. This means that you say, what does the Bible teach about marriage? Our culture puts up what we call power couples. And they say, these are power couples. And you could Google search who you think the most powerful couples are uh, in the world today. But I think the Bible has some incredible power couples. Abraham and Sarah were a power couple. I feel like Joseph and Mary are a power couple. You just see an amazing love and servanthood there. But today I'm gonna focus on, honestly, I would say this is my favorite couple in the scriptures. And it's a man by the name of Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. And you might have to do some research to figure out which one is the man and which one is the woman. But Aquila and Priscilla, and sometimes they put his name first and sometimes they put her name first. So I don't know, she must have been a strong woman. Priscilla and Aquila. <laughs> but I want to focus on their marriage today and just entitle this message, The Power of Stay. The Power of Stay. Slap somebody and say, just stay. Just stay. Slap somebody else and say, you just got to stay. Just stay. Our culture says, leave. Just leave. I want to talk to you about the power of stay. It's not easy to stay. It's not easy to stay locked in, to stay committed. But I'm going to give you three things that we're going to stay in. I want to show you what I think is a really power couple, a really powerful couple. These, these guys right here. Oh, yeah. I hadn't changed in 25 years, man. Look at you say. Me and Angie. The three words that uh, we're going to talk about today is, number one, stay together. Second is stay true. And the third is to stay tender. Okay, I want you to say it with me. Stay together. Stay true. Stay tender. And when you look at this couple right here, can we put it back up on the screen for a moment? When you look at this couple, look, we were inseparable. We were together. I actually, I got on Angie's nerves. I pursued so hard. I mean, just all the time. She was like, look, we can, it's okay for us to not be together sometimes. Like, like, are you going to be like this our whole lives, you know? But together, we were totally inseparable. Uh, in this moment of marriage, you are so true to your covenant. You couldn't imagine uh, being unfaithful. You couldn't imagine not being true to your word because you just look at us smiling at each other. We're true. And, and, and we are so tender, like the way where I'm talking to her and, and hugging her and whispering to her. I mean, we, was, we were tender. But you know, time has a way 
of taking, uh, taking us apart, and we lose that togetherness. We lose that true covenant. And, and we lose that tenderness. You see an older couple, if they're still together, they're, they're arguing and, and, and spatting, and they lose those three things. So we're going to talk about staying in these states of being together, being true, and being tender. And I'd like to use Aquila and Priscilla as our example. For our first one, let's talk about staying together. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. So I want you to see this part. Paul lived and worked with them, for they, say the pronoun together, they, they were tent makers just as he was. Not he was a tent maker, she was a tent maker, they we're tent makers. This is the first thing, stay together. See, a, a danger in marriage is when you begin to take steps apart. Different bedtimes. Let that one sink in just a second. Different bedrooms, different beds, different schedules, different bank accounts, different, just different. Different jobs, we're going here, we're doing this, and I know, look, and in today's society, with finances and money the way it is, people are holding multiple jobs. Both spouses are doing multiple things. And that's, that's great, I guess. But I would rather you make less and stay together than make more and divorce and lose it all anyway. It's just better to stay together. I would rather you make less and stay together than go so hard to make a bunch of money and divorce. Stay together. So here's some things we're gonna be together. We're gonna be together in proximity, meaning we're gonna be next to each other, actually on earth, in each other's presence a whole lot. We're gonna focus on being together. We're gonna have dinner together. We're gonna to go on dates together. We're gonna to ride together. We're gonna to watch shows together. If Angie goes somewhere, I'm going with her. We're not focusing on our lives and our separateness and our individuality and our independence. If you go that path, there could be a fracture in your passion and in your love. We're just together. You know, at our offices here in South Baton Rouge, we have two geese. And I don't know if you know this about geese, but many uh, m geese <laughs> stay together for a lifetime, decades. They choose a partner and they stay together. And they raise kids together. They go everywhere together. And we have two geese that are at our front doorstep at our offices and they've like become family to the whole staff. But these geese are married and, and they, they get on our nerves. They use the restroom where they shouldn't, right on the... Rose, I mean, we try to get them out of there, but they love us, and, and some of us love them. 
but they are together for a lifetime. They're always seen together. And I think of several families in our church and couples in our church, you know, at our New Orleans campus. I think of Simon and Wanda Abair, and uh, they're, they're probably listening to me right now turning red as I talk about them. But I love Simon and Wanda. They, they are such an amazing couple. And you know what I've learned about Simon is you can never talk to Simon on the cell phone. You can talk to Simon and Wanda, but you cannot talk to Simon. He puts you on speakerphone, and you think you're talking to him, and then Wanda's like, hey, I'm here too. You know, they just together, <laughs> together. I think of some great families in our church, just model togetherness. And I, I want to convict couples who are on their way apart from one another to pursue togetherness in proximity. Here's another one, pursue togetherness in possessions. Hey, hey, ah, I know. You can go listen to a bunch of counseling on, on how you should separate this and you should take care of the house bill and, and she should take care of the insurance and you cover the this and that. I'm just telling you, separate is not what we want to do. We want to go together. What is mine is now ours. Everything we have, we share. <laughs> Don't hate me. Share possessions. You know, you may get mad at each other. You're like, why did you spend that money out of the account? How did you, why did you do that? But you know what? That togetherness exposes a lack of teamwork. It exposes your selfishness. It exposes, because it's together, and you got to work on this stuff. So together in proximity, together in possessions, we're going to be together in intimacy. I'm not going to stay long. I know we have multi-generations in the room. But I'm just going to say the marriage bed is holy and needed, and it is God's design and his desire. And boy, there's nothing that can lead to divorce faster than withholding yourself from intimacy with your spouse. And I know life is real. Uh, people have stories of pain and trauma and different things, and they're just like, you know what? We just, we're together, but we don't ever, we're not intimate together. You're headed for divorce. Straight up, straight up. If you withhold yourself from your spouse, and it's actually biblical. Paul talks about this. He says, do not withhold yourself from your spouse. You have become theirs. You, you belong to them. And this is, this is a giving of yourself to them. And, and you say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? I'm saying don't go weeks without giving yourself to your partner in an intimate way. So quiet in here. I love it. I love it. It's like. <laughs> it's necessary teaching. It's necessary. Don't withhold yourself from your spouse. Be together in intimacy. Don't stay mad at one another and keep yourself. Ladies, I just want you to know, if you withhold yourself from your husband, he is not wired to just be celibate his whole life. Think, oh, he's going to stay faithful, you know? I'm praying for him. But it's, it, it's uh, we, we share ourselves. And it's, it's, it's both ways. And the fourth thing we're going to be together is we're going to be together in decisions. We're not going to make decisions apart. We're going to make decisions together, huge life decisions. We're not taking a job in another state without getting a, a unanimous consent. 
this is what we're doing. We're not going to make a big decision and sell our house or, or move somewhere without both feeling the same thing together. We're together. Together. Can I tell you one of my failures? So back in 2009, Angie and I had just been married a few years, and we were about to welcome our first child into the world. And I got tired of my vehicle. And my life was going so fast, I wasn't thinking like I needed to talk to her about getting a new vehicle. I know y'all know that sounds stupid, but I just, in my head, I was like, I just go get another car. So I, I drove to Ford, traded in my vehicle, got a new Ford F-150, drove it home, parked it in the driveway, walked inside, didn't say a thing about it. We had supper together. And she walks outside and there's a Ford F-150 sitting there and she's like, whose is this? I was like, ours. Oh, you didn't even want me to say what color you should get. So don't do that, guys. You guys who are just, just you learn togetherness and decisions. Everything we're doing, we're together, okay? So say this with me, stay together. I have two questions for you, and they're going to put these two questions on the screen, and, and, and you can answer these on your own time. Are you and your spouse together enough? I really want you to reflect on that. Are you together enough? Are you going separate all the time? It is worth quitting a job. It is worth losing some income. If you are not together enough, you need to prioritize your marriage and your togetherness over everything else. Listen to your pastor. Nothing matters more than that power couple staying together. Second question is, what is one way you could grow in your togetherness? Maybe that means reading your Bible together. Maybe it means praying together. Maybe it means uh, committing to a weekly date night where you're together. Maybe it means stopping going to bed at different times and commit to going to bed at the same time. I know these are radical ideas, but I want you to stay together. Amen. All right, let's move to the second one, and that's we're going to stay true. We're going to stay true. And this is another passage about this great couple, Aquila and Priscilla, Romans 16, verse 3 through 5. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. In this, we see their faithfulness and their, their ability to lock in and commit and to be true. America's problem is that we treat marriage like it's boyfriend and girlfriend type stuff. We treat marriage vows like they're cute. And uh, can I just step on a quick soapbox real quick? Okay. I appreciate people wanting to write their vows. You probably write some good vows. But oftentimes the vows as a pastor, the vows that I see people writing are silly. As long as my doggie loves your doggie and we, you know, just, I'm serious. Stuff about dogs and cats and, and funny stuff. When you stand on a platform or wherever you are and in, in, in front of God's presence, you make an oath to a person that I will be with you forever till death do us part. I mean, this thing is binding. I'll tell you a funny story real quick. Uh, I knew a guy one time. He got married, and he and his wife, they were in love uh, and passionately in love. 
But there's a part in the scriptures that says there's not gonna be marriage in heaven. So these relationships, although they are lifelong, they're not eternal relationships. You're not gonna be married to this person in heaven. And uh, he was talking about that with her and she got mad at this scenario where they would not be together eternally. And uh, I remember him talking to me and saying, she's mad at me because we're not gonna be married forever. And we, we, we had a chuckle about it, and that was like 20 years ago. And now she's just like, how much time left do we have on this marriage? Oh, my God. <laughs> but when you get married, you have no idea the gravity and the power of what you're saying to that person in the presence of God. You're making an oath and a covenant to them that I will not back out of this thing. If you get sick, if you have poverty, no matter what happens to us, I am not quitting. I am not leaving. You're saying that, and in our culture, it's kind of like, well, we fell out of love. <laughs> fell out of love. It's just not there. That spark is not there anymore. You swore in the presence of God to this person, I will be with you forever. We will build generation upon generation. We will be a power couple. And here you are with a fail out of love. Can you stay true? Number one, to your covenant. And I, 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 I want to just, I can't pastor the whole world, but I can pastor you and, you, and I can just tell you, you need to get it out of your brain, out of your mind, that quitting is an option. It's not an option. And in your mind, you need it to, it's not an option. So I can either like the bed that I make, or I can, hey, I'm not going anywhere. So I better start sowing some good seed into this ground, because I'm not going anywhere. I am here. We are together. I'm going to stay true to my covenant. I, I, and I just want to pause for a moment, and I do know this. There are marriages that are sitting here, and you're having a rough time. It's a, you're in a rough situation. Don't quit. Stay true. God is faithful. God is able to bring you through. Stay true to your covenant. The second thing that we're going to stay true to is stay true to your exclusivity. That's a fancy word. It means we're exclusive. Back when I was in school, we would say, will you go out with me? Uh, can we be exclusive? That means there's no other people. And nothing can bring divorce faster than adding other people into that relationship. Let's talk about some, I'm just gonna rapid fire. Social media, inboxes, where people DM you privately, an old girlfriend, old boyfriend, somebody from the past, somebody that saw you online, thinks you're cute, whatever the case may be, leave no room for the enemy. Like no door for him to stick his foot in. Nobody's gonna slide up in my DMs. I'll just go on record and let all of you know, our whole staff has access to all my social media stuff, so if anybody wants to send something crazy, they're gonna get a response back from our staff. You're not getting to me. So I, but your social media, your work environments, work trips. Look, something happens on a work trip. 
You get transplanted out of your environment into an alien environment, and you feel like a wild person. You leave behind your family, and you're in somewhere else. And man, don't leave any foothold for the enemy. Stay true to your exclusivity. Don't tolerate people flirting with you at work. Don't, so see, don't, don't water any type of flirtatious energy and uh, gravity towards another person. Nah, it's exclusive. And I tell guys that I'm mentor, and I'm just going to put this hat on just for a moment, and I'm just going to talk super raw with you. People of the opposite sex don't need to feel like you're interested and open to any sort of relationship. You don't need to send vibes. You don't need to send energy that I might be interested. It's ice, 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 baby. It's just ice. They're not feeling any type of chemistry, no chemistry, because Angie has my heart. I'm exclusively hers, exclusively. In that arena, that's my woman. So stay true to your exclusivity. I could get into the way that porn, pornography is destroying marriages. Did you know porn, pornography in a marriage increases the likelihood of divorce 300%? 300%. Just get ruthless, exclusive. So stay true to your covenant. Stay true to your exclusivity. And the final one is to stay true to that commitment to pursue. For the rest of your life, we're not going to be apathetic about our relationship. We're going to be in pursuit mode. And here I'd like to just challenge men on something. God wired men a certain way, and it's to achieve certain things and then move on to the next thing. It's maybe I, I want to make a certain amount of money, or I want to get this job promotion, or I want to get this amount of sales, or maybe it's I want to get this girl. But... Guys are wired, they, they achieve. But the problem is, is a wife is not something you achieve. It's a partner in a relationship that you pursue forever. So if you put your wife in this category of, got it, you're not staying true to that pursuit. You have to put this mindset in you that I will pursue her for the rest of my life. We're gonna pursue each other for the rest of our lives. I'm going to romance her. I'm going to gift her. I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to make it awesome. I'm going to pursue her forever. You, look, I'm just telling you, you start pursuing each other, you're good to go. You are good for life because you're pursuing one another. If it's okay, I would like to just share a few statistics with you. Everybody has heard this statistic that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Sadly, it's the same in the church. Many marriages in the church end in divorce. But I don't know if you've heard this one. That statistic is up to 20 years. And if you read the statistics up to 25 years, the scenario drastically changes because kids are out of the house and now the divorce rate escalates immensely. So if 50% of couples are still married after 20 years, only... 6% of couples make it to their 50th anniversary, and only 20% make it to their 25th anniversary. So another 30% of marriages quit in a five-year span. From the time the kids leave the house, in that five-year span, another 30% quit. 
So really the statistic is 80% of marriages end in divorce before 25 years. I just wanna know, is there anybody in the room that's been married for 25 years? I would like you to stand to your feet at every campus and we wanna take a second and we wanna honor you. 25 years! Come on! Yes, 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 yes! That's the power couples in the room. We honor you. We're grateful for you. You can sit down. Uh, but I also want to ask this question. Is there anybody in the room who's made it to 50 years and you're married 50 years? Would you stand to your feet real quick? Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, man. These are the heroes in the land. This is the godly in the land. These are people that you want to be around. You want to make your life like these people. That's amazing. 50 years. Only 6% of marriages make it to that mark. Amazing. I was just at a 50th anniversary party two nights ago celebrating. Look, you want to get me to come to a party? Throw a 50th anniversary party. I want to go celebrate that couple. I want to... I want to give them honor where honor is due. That's a powerful thing. So we're going to stay together. We're going to stay true. And finally, we're going to stay tender. Stay tender. And I'm, I'm going to pick up the pace through this, but this is Acts chapter 18, verse 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching, and it's talking about this guy named Apollos. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. What we see in this picture is that they had discretion to handle things with tenderness. And I think that that same discretion was probably seen in, in the way that they treated one another with tenderness. This tenderness is gonna be seen in the way we give one another grace and empathy. Grace and empathy. Say those two words, grace and empathy. We're gonna have a lot of grace for one another. We're gonna have a lot of empathy towards one another. If you're rigid and hard and you say it's this way and no way else and you give no grace when they forget to unload the dishwasher or when, when, when you forget to, to clean out the garage or whatever the case may be, if there's no grace given, you're not gonna make it. You gotta be filled with grace and filled with empathy. Now, I will say something and I'm not a woman, but I think that I'm right on this. And so ladies, if I'm right, you just agree with me. Uh, you don't need men to fix your problem. You just need them to understand. I got about 50% amens from the women, so I think I'm half right. But no, I am right. <laughs> Guys, I know this is this uh, it's horrible because when we hear a problem, we just want to fix it. But that's actually not what's needed. You don't need to listen to the problem and say, well, that's easy. Do this, this, and this. The right answer is, tell me more about how that makes you feel. <laughs> and you really score amazing if you offer no solutions. If you just say, that is complicated. I understand. Wow, there's no way out. This is truly a mess. Oftentimes, I have a solution in 90 seconds. Oh, wait, you need to talk to this person. You need to go here. You need to do this. But that's not at all what's required. It's empathy. It's listening and offer one another. This is tenderness. Lots of grace, lots of empathy. And then we're also going to say we're going to be tender in our attitudes 
and our attitudes. Now, this is fascinating. I wish I could spend way more time here. But psychologists and researchers have done enough work to be able to study people's body language and to determine within almost a 90th percentile if a couple will divorce. And the way that they study this is if a, a, a spouse or partner is willing to roll their eyes at, another, at, at their spouse, it's, divorce is almost imminent. <laughs> there he goes again. Because that's an attitude. It's an attitude that you have. <laughs> another, another way that they examine this is if you're willing to sigh. <laughs> you sigh, roll your eyes. This is not good. So I don't know. Maybe you don't want to put your toes inside. Or maybe I'm stepping on some toes. I don't know. But you... Do not roll your eyes at your spouse. Do not offer up a big <laughs> Also, in the way that we fold our arms, the way that we turn away and walk out of a room, or the way that we walk distance from that person, we're disgusted, don't want to be close to them. You are still married on legally, but in your heart, you are running away. So what is the opposite? It's to intentionally do the, the opposite things. One that I forgot to mention is eye connection. If when you talk to your spouse, if you don't look in each other's eyes, you're looking around the room and you're, you're not connecting, it is saying something to that person. You're not value to, valuable to me. I don't want to be spending this time with you. I don't want to be in this conversation with you. But if you will look them in the eyes, if you'll put a smile on your face when you talk to them, if you'll touch them with physical affection and, 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 and put your hand on their shoulder, hug them, and show them, hey, I am open to you. I love you. I'm not going to roll my eyes at you, disrespect you with my body language. This, these are all things that will help you last. But if you will bring your big, nasty attitude into the relationship, you don't have much hope. Just don't have much hope. Stop folding your arms. Stop walking out of the room. Stop disconnecting your eyes. Stop, uh, stop sighing. Stop rolling your eyes. Okay? So we're going to be tender in our attitudes. And the final thing, we're going to be tender with our words. Our words. Man, your words, you literally are building your home and your legacy or you're tearing it down. Your words are so powerful and you choosing your words. Don't say destructive things in angry moments that tear your marriage down. It truly is better to zip it if you're in a moment of, of hot temper than to say things that ruin your marriage, that tear that person down. Men, your ladies, they need to hear words of love. They need to hear words of affirmation and affection. Babe, you look beautiful. I don't think I've ever seen you look this good in my life. You know, I love being married to you. You're an amazing spouse. These words bring life. But if you just say, this is miserable. I don't like being here. I don't like being with you. You always do this. You... You don't have any hope. You're tearing your marriage down with your words. Zip it. 
Start, start saying words that are life-giving. And ladies, I want you to know this. I know your husband acts like he's got it all together, but every man needs affirmation. And men, you don't have to listen to this. If it, maybe you don't, your, your ego won't let you hear this. Every man needs affirmation. Ma'am, if you'll tell him, you got this. I believe in you. I trust you with our lives. I, look, you're the best man I could have married. I'm so thankful for your leadership. I'm behind you 100%. You build that man up, he will break through a wall. If you tear him down, you lousy, no good. Look at you doing this again. I can't count on you for anything. You hard. Well, he will become exactly what you say. So we're going to be tender in grace and empathy in our attitudes and with our words. I know I've said a lot, but we were going to put everything about marriages in this one weekend, and I really just wanted to, 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 to punch it hard. So maybe there was some painful moments in it for you. I don't know if it, it but here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay together. We're going to stay true, and we're going to stay tender. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray over our marriages now. Lord, I bring before you right now the marriages of Bethany Church. Lord, you know our good moments and our bad moments. You know when we're fighting in our cars and when we're ignoring each other and when we're doing all the stuff we shouldn't do. And we ask you for forgiveness where we've been hard towards one another. We ask you for forgiveness where we've been selfish we ask you for forgiveness where we haven't been faithful and haven't been true. And Lord, we just ask you to make our marriages pillars in the earth. God, help us to live up to these examples of being married 25 years and 50 years and, and beyond. But I pray that divorce is not a word that comes up in our vocabulary with our spouse. But Lord, covenant and faithfulness is what we embrace. I pray for marriages. I pray you would heal marriages. Lord, and I pray for marriages that seem hopeless right now or they feel like they, they don't have a chance. I just pray for them. I intercede for them. Help them find a way. Help them find, Lord, your path. Help them find wisdom. Lord, heal marriages across this church. We give you our marriages. Lord, help us to do better at loving one another and 